Um, I've got some help. Come on out. Come on out here, guys. So I, I needed a little backup on, uh, on this sermon. So we have this, we have this, uh, this uh, poll go out on Easter, and it said, you know, how many of you, uh, uh, what burning topics do you have in your heart or in your life um, that you want to hear about? Preach from the, from the pulpit. And you said you want to hear about prayer. That was one of the things you wanted to hear about. That was one of the top four. You wanted to learn about God's will for your life. And that one kind of ran over. We did a couple sermons on that one. Um, you wanted to hear about forgiveness. And last week, if you weren't here and you didn't hear that sermon on forgiveness, please go on to our website and listen to it. Um, it, 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 you know, forgiveness is just, it's kind of at the core of our faith, <laughs> kind of like really, really important. Um, so I invite you to listen to that. But you also said, I want to hear about the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Give me some, give me a backdrop on the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do that today. Um, now, I will tell you this, that, that when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, people have come with very different ideas, very different backgrounds uh, when you start talking about the Holy Spirit. So let me, I'm going to do an informal poll, okay? How many of you came from a church where the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost was talked about like almost every Sunday? It was like part of every Sunday service, right? Okay, so, so some of you guys came from... You may just call it a Holy Ghost Church, right? I mean, a Holy Ghost Church, right? So give me, I'm going to have Mary give us a little bit of music. This is probably the kind of music you heard if you came from a Holy Ghost Church. Can you help us out, Mary? I started running. I started shouting. I had no time for doubting. I said I. People are like, oh, wait a minute. We're we getting ready to have a Holy Ghost church here now. Come on. Hey, hey. Um, <laughs> whew, that was exciting, actually. Um, <laughs> now, how many of you came from a church where really Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, that really wasn't talked about too much. That really wasn't touched on too much. That was kind of like that, that like distant uncle that like, you know you should invite him to dinner because he's related, but you don't know what he's going to say, and he could really come and disrupt things, and so you don't want him come. How many of you ever grew up in a church where Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost just wasn't talked about, right? So the only time that you heard about the Holy Spirit would be right at the very tail end of the service when you heard this little line. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son. Are these guys awesome or what? Thank you, guys. So <laughs> some people are like, no, you go down. Have them stay up. Take it easy. Um, yeah, so, so we come from these wildly different backgrounds. How many of you, okay, so th- this is the third part of the poll. How many of you here have absolutely no idea about anything that I'm talking about? You're just like, holy what? Is this a Halloween thing? What's going on? Anybody like that? It's okay. All right, you guys don't want to admit it. That's all right. That's cool. Um, so we come from these wildly different backgrounds about the Holy Spirit. 
And wherever you're coming from, I I just want to say today is one of these days where we're just going to dive in together. Um, Ultimately, the Bible talks about the unity of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit should not be something that divides us down denominational lines or down, you know, religious doctrinal lines. It should be something that unites us and brings us together. So I'm going to just do an an exploration with you today, a thumbnail sort of bird's eye overview of the Holy Spirit. And then in January, we'll do a more extensive series on the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So um, we get what looks like in the Bible, the maybe a very early glimpse of the Holy Spirit In the very opening lines of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Um, And it's just a peep of what what it may be, look, we may be looking at the Holy Spirit in this passage. Um, Well, yeah, before we get that, thank you, Don. Don's helping me out. Go back. We're going to explore the identity, the activity, and the productivity of the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes, uh, you can pull out your notes, and that's that's what we're exploring. So in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we get this, this very early, what looks like a first peep at the Holy Spirit. And it says, In the beginning God created heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Uh, darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters. So this, this word, it's, it's, it's ruach in the Hebrew. That's an onomatopoeic word, and that means it sounds like what it is. Because this ruach can also be interpreted as wind or blast or, uh, you know, uh, air, uh, moving air. So it's just got this ruach sound, right? And it says the Spirit of God was hovering. Uh, hovering in this passage evokes like the idea almost like a bird, that flutters over a nest. In fact, in uh, Deuteronomy, when they use when the Bible scripture writers use this word hovering again, they talk about it in terms of an eagle who is hovering over its nest. Um, and so you get this glimpse of the Holy Spirit early on as this sort of this spirit that's hovering, or this wind or this blast that's hovering over the face of the earth. And then throughout the Old Testament, we get little glimpses. Um, throughout, and the Old Testament is everything up until the point of Jesus. So all the writings from all the prophets and all the law and everything up to the point of Jesus, that's the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. And throughout the Hebrew Bible, we get these little glimpses where we see that the Holy Spirit was either, you know, um, someone was filled with the Holy Spirit and they were empowered to go do something, or like the Holy Spirit was upon them and they were empowered to say something or do something or act in a way that God wanted them to act. So you see... Uh, like David, for instance, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit put um, the vision of the temple in his mind. Um, for Joseph, if you remember the character of Joseph, uh, God gave him through the power of the Holy Spirit the ability to interpret dreams. Um, the elders, the 70 elders in Israel, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gave them power to lead out the Israelites. So you see these glimpses, and then all through Judges and all through the, the prophets, you see Isaiah and Elijah and Elisha, all of these people that were touched by the power of the Holy Spirit and empowered to do something and to say uh, what God wanted them to say or do what God wanted them to do. But then we get, so we're getting these glimpses all through the Old Testament. Then in the New Testament, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, we get this sort of really vivid, visceral, uh, powerful image of the Holy Spirit when Jesus is getting baptized. And so Jesus goes to his cousin John to get baptized, and the Bible says that he was 
buried in baptism. He came up out of the water. And it said as soon as he was baptized, Jesus came up out of the water. And at that moment, it says heaven, the heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And then it says, and a voice from heaven came and said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So we get this really, I don't know, this, for me, it's a very visual moment um, in the scripture where you see, you hear the voice of the father saying, this is my beloved son. You see the spirit descending almost like a dove. You sort of, sort of a, a, a flashback to the to the creation where you, where you see the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the, otter, or the waters and God's creating the world and now he's creating a new world um, through Jesus. And, and, then you, and then you see the son, uh, Jesus, being baptized. And so in this, in this, in this one passage, we, we, we see this, what appears to be this father, spirit, son dynamic happening um, at Jesus' baptism. And so... When we, look at, when we look at the Father, when we think of the Father, we conceptualize that, right? We've all seen fathers. We know fathers. Um, we all have fathers, and some of us have good relationships with the fathers and some bad, but we know we can conceptualize and see what a father is, um, and we know that. A son, we get that. We understand, you know, you read about Jesus, what he did, what he said. You, you can conceptualize that. Holy Spirit, that was a little harder, you know, to conceptualize. Who is that? What is that? Uh, you know, the scripture says things like he, the Holy Spirit can be grieved and the Holy Spirit um, uh, can be obeyed or the Holy Spirit can be sinned against. And there, there's these descriptions of the Holy Spirit, but it's, 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 it's difficult to sort of grasp who is that? What is that? So in the law, um, I, I used to practice law a long time ago, and there's a, there's a doctrine in the law called a dying declaration. And in, in a court of law, generally... Uh, when somebody has testimony, they're not allowed to say what somebody else told them outside of court, okay, especially if that person is not available to testify themselves. So if I'm in a court of law, I'm not allowed to say, hey, Mike told me that he's the one that's, you know, that robbed the liquor store. You know what I mean? I'm not allowed to say that because Mike's not here to testify. So that's hearsay. But there's an exception under the law to hearsay, and that's called a dying declaration. How many law students are here today? Right, just right now. We got one, two, three, four. All right, if I, if, I don't totally, if I don't totally get this right, you know, just be easy on me. It's been a while, all right? Dying declaration says, you will, we will, the court will hear, will hear hearsay if the person making the statement is unavailable and what they said, they said at a moment where they were absolutely certain that they were going to die. And the thing that they said was about the circumstances of their death. So in other words, if, if someone is dying and you find them there dying and they've been murdered and they say, you know, it was Professor Plum with a candlestick in the ballroom, right? You're allowed to, and then they die. Then at the court, you can say, he told me that it was Professor Plum. At the, you know. So you're allowed to say, because it's a dying declaration, because the, the point is that a person that's on the brink of death is more likely to tell the truth than a, they don't have much to lose at this point, is, is the idea. Are you tracking with me? Okay, that's, that's Crim Law 101. So you guys pass that on the test um, and, and give me some credit on that one. Um, so Jesus makes a dying declaration when he's with his disciples. 
at the end of his ministry. He's been with him, he's been with them the whole time. He's ministered to them. He's talked to them. He's led them. He's preached to them. He's healed. He's done all this stuff. And then in the book of uh, John, he's, he makes a dying declaration because he's about to be crucified. In just a few hours, he's going to be arrested and then crucified. So he goes, to the, he, he goes to his disciples. He sits down. They have dinner. And he says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die, but I want to comfort you. And here's how I'm going to comfort you. And then look at John uh, chapter 14. It says this. He said, I will pray the Father... And he will give you another helper. This is what he's telling the disciples. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he, this other helper, may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. That's who he is. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. He said, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So Jesus is saying, you got to grab onto this, because Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you another, in other words, not me, but some, somebody else, another helper, and he is going to be the spirit of truth. The world can't see him, but you can see him. You'll re- receive him. You'll recognize him, because he's with you now, and he will be in you. Now, let me, let me just drill down on this word helper for a minute. If you go to that next passage, here's, here's the word in the Greek that they use. It's parakletos, all right? We're, we're just, and you can impress your friends if you learn this today. So normally we don't dive into a lot of Greek, but you know, write this down, and at your next theological conversation, you can throw this one around. Um, so the parakletos, what does that mean? Para is, and kletos are two different, two different pieces of that word. Para means like right next to, right beside, right close to, like two parallel lines running along side by side each other. They're right, right next to each other, right beside each other. Right or a parable, para is a, a story that runs right along next side of a tr- of a truth, and it actually explains the truth. Right, um, and and sometimes it's so close you get the word like parasite because the para the the, the host and the parasite are like so close they're eating from the same table, and um, sometimes yeah. So anyway, we won't get into parasites, but um, just take that. Let's go back to the dove, and then yeah, get the par- um, so. So what he's saying, and then, and then kletos um, means call. And so it kind of has a double meaning. It means that God is calling this helper to you, but this helper helps you to make the right call. So the helper is there. And so parakletos, your translation, it may say comforter, it may say helper, or it may say advocate. Um, I like the word advocate because really what, it, what, what Jesus is saying is that this helper is going to come right alongside of you, and he is going to advocate on your behalf. He's going to be a counselor. He's going to be a comforter. He's going to be an advocate when you need an advocate. Now, I'll ask this question, too. I, this is, I'm getting a lot of information out of this congregation today. How many of you have ever or know somebody? I'll give you a little out. How many of you have ever or know somebody who needed a good lawyer at some point, a good advocate, right? People do not like lawyers. Um, and, and, and law students, I, I just, I hate to tell you that, but I just wanted to put that out there. Um, they don't like lawyers. Um, but when you need a good lawyer, man, they are useful. 
I think, you know, the problem, I think the problem with lawyers is they, they charge you for every little second. You know, you get an email, that's 0.25, right? You billable hour people, that's 0.25, and they're going to ding you for 150 bucks. You know, just to shoot an email to say, I don't know the answer to that. It's not cool. In fact, somebody told me the other day, they said, they asked me, do you know where copper wire comes from? I said, no. I said, it's two lawyers fighting over a penny. And they just, you know. So, um, but that's not the kind of, man, it just, my, my stuff just ripples out there. Just real slow. <laughs> Hang with me. Help me. Um, so, when you need a good advocate, when you need a good lawyer, when you need someone to help you say, all right, do this, don't do that. I, got a, I literally got a call this week from a good friend from a different state who told me about a legal situation, civil matter, and I just wish, what I really wanted to do is I just wanted to fly down there. And I wanted to just be invisible. And I wanted to just stand behind this friend of mine and say, all right, now, say this. Don't say that. Hand the judge this. Shut up. Don't say anything else. You know, like, I really wanted to be that advocate. I wanted to be right there beside him, helping him negotiate this situation that he was in. Because when we need an advocate, we know we need an advocate. Like, sometimes there are times where... You, you just don't know. How do I respond to this call right now? How should I respond to that email? How should I respond in this relationship? Um, this person did this to me. How do I respond? What if you had Jesus standing beside you, advocating for you on your behalf as an encourager when you needed encouragement, as a counselor when you needed counseling, as an advocate when you needed advocacy, standing there with you? And that is what Jesus is saying in this passage He's saying that the Holy Spirit is, is an advocate. And in fact, he says this. Well, he says the Holy Spirit, essentially in a nutshell, is a divine advocate who resides within the heart of every believer forever. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Holy Spirit is not some crazy, kooky, offbeat, you know, ghost with a sheet running around acting silly and nonsense, right? The Holy Spirit is a divine advocate who resides in the heart of believers forever. He said, I'm going to pray and he will abide with you forever. All right. In fact, Jesus said, it is better for you that I'm gone and that the advocate comes. Look at this. Look at this passage. He says in in John 16, he says, I'm telling you the truth because they didn't believe him. He had to emphasize this. It is to your advantage that I go away. Remember, this is his dying declaration. This is what he's saying to his disciples. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the the, the parakletos, the helper, the advocate, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And he will glorify me. For he will take of, of, of what is mine and declare it to you. In other words, he's saying, I'm leaving, but he's coming. And the things that he's going to tell you are the things that I would have told you if I were here. He's going to take up what is mine, and he's going to declare it to you. He's not going to be speaking something out on his own authority. He's going to be speaking that which he hears, and he's going to be communicating that which I would communicate to you if I were here with you. So Jesus is saying it's actually better for you because I can only be with you here physically, you know, when I'm here physically with you and just a group of you. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to come, and he will be with you, and he will be in you all the time all the time as an advocate for you. So that's the thumbnail picture of who he is, okay? The second portion of this is activity. What does he do? 
What does the Holy Spirit do? What is his activity in our life? And Jesus goes on very clearly to tell us. The first is that he instructs us. He is a teacher. The Holy Spirit instructs us. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, we have the Bible. uh, But sometimes you read the Bible and you say, okay, here are the facts of my life. And here's the scripture. And how does the scripture apply to these facts in my life? You ever, you ever do that? So I, this week, my wife bought a little bookshelf from Ikea. And I don't know if you have been to Ikea yet, but, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Don't go there. Give, give it a couple months till the crowds disperse. I was going to go get a little salmon, and it was like an hour and a half line. Just, I was like, you shop and I'll eat. But no, it didn't work out. But, but so when I get an Ikea, you know, piece of furniture, there's the instructions and then there's the stuff, but applying the instructions to the stuff is not always that easy. Somebody give me an amen. If, you, if this were California and they had Ikea, you know, where they've had Ikeas for a long time, you'd be like, you're so right. And a year from now, after you've all bought a piece of furniture from Ikea, you're going to be like, I know what he was saying now. Wow. I mean, they've got these instructions and they've got this stuff, but applying the instructions to the stuff is not that easy. I could use an instructor standing there with me going, what you want to do is take that little doll rod and then stick it in, not that hole, no, pull that out, flip it around, upside down, three quarters, boom, you know. Um, that one screw that you can't find, yeah, that's under the, the dining room table, you know, your, your son picked that up and threw it. So uh, you, need a, you need an instructor. I, I had a similar situation when I was studying. We did a class, and I was in a, a class that was way above my head, and and every seemed like everybody else in the class was just breezing through this. This was a summer class that I did in college, and there was a lot of math involved. And I look at math, and I look at numbers, and they start to turn around and flip upside down and move and jump, and I can't focus on it. And, and, but I had the textbook, but I couldn't apply the textbook to the test. And we had a, a, a professor, a young guy. His name was David Saitone. He's from Argentina. And he took the... The, 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 the lesser of us, the group of us that were not the, you know, not the roadrunners. We were the turtles in the class. If you, and, and he said, look, I'm just going to sit down with you guys, and I'm going to help you guys get through this. Because you've got all the facts you need, but you need an instructor. And so he would sit down with us, and he'd stay up till midnight, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning with a group of us instructing us. And when I passed that class, I look back to that. And that's like if, if you ask me to write down one of the things that I'm proudest of in my whole life, passing that class, like doing that, because I had an instructor that was willing to help me out. Jesus says this. He says, the helper, in John 14, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. And he will bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. So in other words, the Holy Spirit, his role in your life is not just to run a chill down your leg, but he's there to instruct you. And when you're reading the scripture and you're looking at the facts of your life, how do you put those together? The Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, is there. He's with you. He's in you. He's available to you to instruct you. But the problem is some of us don't listen to instructions that well. Anybody want to admit? All right. How many of you floss every day? How many of you floss every day? Hey, man, there are some rule followers around here. Every day? Every day? Okay. All right. I didn't know I'd get so many hands on that one. 
Well, we know that flossing is good. The dentist says you should floss. Anything on the internet will tell you you should floss. You can go to the Dental Association of America or whoever, and they'll tell you you should floss. Um, and we know we should floss, and everything is right about flossing. But, you know, 84% of us or so don't floss every day, right? How many of you have, have told your kids, if you have children, don't lean back in your chair? Don't lean back in your chair at the kitchen table, right? I've told my kids that a hundred times. The other day I was sitting with my wife, just leaning back in the chair, and boom, and I just dropped. Almost knocked, she, I almost knocked over a big potted plant, and you know, she rushed to help me, and, um, and then afterwards she was like, I thought you were going to break the, the plant, and I'm like, thanks a lot. How about breaking my skull? No? So we don't, always inst- we don't always follow instructions. So Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. He says he empowers us to, f- he, he, he convinces us, sorry, of hard truths. So when we don't follow the instructions, we need somebody here who will convince us to do what's right. To convince us, not just instruct us, but convince us. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep with the legal theme for a moment. I, I worked my very first summer after my very first year for a, a, a lawyer named Gary Bernbaum in Phoenix, Arizona. And he was the, probably one of the smartest lawyers I've ever worked for. And his, he told me this on my very first day working for him. He said, I want you to come to the office on Monday, put on a suit and tie, and shine your shoes, and follow me around. You're going to show up at this time, and you're just going to follow me around the office, and you're not going to say anything to anybody. Unless I introduce you, and you can say hello. But just, just follow me. Don't, don't say anything. Just listen and follow. I said, okay. Easy money, I'll do that. So I, I showed up at the office, and he had a mediation that day. And a mediation is when two people from two different sides have a conflict, and they're trying to work it out before they go into the court. And so we had this mediation. There was about $2 million at issue in this mediation. And there was this one side that said, you owe us a million, you know, $2 million. And the other side said, we don't owe you anything. Okay? So there was a disagreement. And Gary Birnbaum had been hired to do the mediation. So we walk into the to the big room with a boardroom and everybody's sitting around the table and one side is sitting over here and the other side is sitting over there. They, they have their lawyers and they have their lawyers and everybody's ready and, and I'm standing behind Gary and Gary walks in and the lawyers stood up and they said, we'd like to make our opening statements to begin this mediation process. And so I thought, you know, courtesy, both lawyers will get to say something. Gary Birnbaum says, I want both of you guys to sit down. He said, I don't want any opening statements because here's what you're going to say. And then he rattled off all the good facts that this lawyer was going to say on behalf of his client. And he said, and here's what you were going to say. And he rattled off what this lawyer probably thinks are all the good facts on their side. And he said, but here's what you were not going to say. And then he starts pointing out all of the logical inconsistencies, all of the bad facts, all of the bad law that relates to this side. And he says, your lawyer's not going to tell you this, but you've got some holes in your case and they're not good. And it's not looking good for you. And if you take this to court, you may lose. And you're going to spend a lot of money paying that lawyer to lose. So you shouldn't, you shouldn't pursue this because your case is rotten. And then he turned to the other side and he did the exact same thing. By the way, your case is also rotten. You've got this problem. You've got this law that's against you. You've got these facts that are bad for you. And he just tore, I mean, and by the end, these lawyers are just like wilting in their seats like, what? And he's going, he said, I know this case better than both of you. I know it inside and out. And I'm going to tell both of your clients the hard truths that you won't tell them. Now, you go to that room and you go to that room and I'm going to come back and forth and we're going to mediate this thing. And then he walked out and I turned and walked out right behind him. I said, I'm out of here. Good luck, guys. 
And, and, and we walked down to the hallway, and this was one of these cases. There are $2 million at issue. He said, we'll settle this case for $400,000 by 5 p.m. today. Watch. And I said, okay. And then he went, and, and the rest of the day, that's what he did. He'd go into one room, and he'd give them the hard facts. Here are the problems. They would say, well, yeah, but what about, yeah, that's a good fact, but what about this? And then he would do the same thing. And pretty soon, both parties kind of softened up. And they, they resolved that case for $400,000 by the end of the day, by 5 p.m. We were out of there for dinner, just like he said, because he was willing to give them the hard facts that they needed to hear in order to come to a resolution. All right? And that's what the Holy Spirit does. In John, it says this. Jesus says, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and convict doesn't mean he's going to throw you in jail. It means he's going to convince you of what's going on in reality, in your life, in the world around you. He's going to bring clarity around the hard facts that you may not want to accept about yourself. He's going to challenge you lovingly, gently. He's like a dove. He's not going to pound you over the head. He doesn't have a hammer. You don't see him coming down like Thor. You see him coming down like a dove right? But he is going to convince you of those hard truths and those things in your life that need to be addressed that maybe nobody else can speak into your life. You don't want to hear them. We all have those. We have little blind spots in our life. And when somebody brings them up, we, we wince. We don't want to hear that. The Holy Spirit will come and he will convince you. He will convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. Why does he do that? Does he do that because he wants to hurt us? He wants to hurt our feelings? No. He does it because he wants to empower us to fulfill our purpose. The Holy Spirit empowers us to fulfill our purpose. If you take all of the scriptures about the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament and the New Testament, you boil them down to one word, it always comes down to empowerment. Everything that he does in your life, whether it's counseling, whether it's teaching, whether it's instructing, whether it's convicting of sin, whatever it is, it's all directed at bringing you power to do what you have been called to do by God. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to empower you. That's what we want to do at U City Family Church. We want to be a place that empowers people to do what God's called them to do and to be who God has called them to be. In fact, in, in Acts 1, probably one of the most famous passages, he says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all of the ends of the earth. That's what you will do. He says, I will be the advocate, but you will be the witness. The lawyer does not testify in the court of law. The witness testifies in the court of law. The advocate is there to help prepare the witness. The Holy Spirit is there to help prepare you and equip you to be a witness to other people through your words and your deeds of the glory of God so that they can experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus in the same way that you're experiencing it. They can experience that same forgiveness, that same love, that same transformation that you are experiencing by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I, I, I want our church, and I believe our church is this, and I just want us to grow in this. We want to be a place where real life transformation happens. Real life transformation happens. Where it's not just like, you know, we come, we have a good time, it's cool, we greet each other, it's fun, I like this guy, I don't like that guy, you know, and then we leave. It's not, in, unless things are really changing in our life. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? 
I don't want you to think there's just an immediate reversal and everything just, just in a flash, bang, it's all gone, right? How many of you could say that since you became a follower of Jesus, you have never sinned? Ever. All right, I better not get hands on that one. I'm like, really? Can we talk after service? Um, um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. But slowly, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, we are transformed. And, I, and, and, and when the Holy Spirit transforms an individual, that transforms that person's family or the relationships or their, you know, the, the interactions with their roommates or their colleagues. And then that transforms that you know, institution, whatever that is, that job, that school, and that transforms a community, and then that transforms a state, and that transforms a nation, that transforms a world. And that's how we believe the Holy Spirit operates like that in our hearts to transform us so that we can transform the world around us. So that's what he does. That's the activity. Third piece is this. What is the productivity? What happens as a result of the Holy Spirit? What, what happens when the Holy Spirit is active in our life? And the scripture says, the, ver- the first thing is this. We experience that uh, an increasing degree of virtue and integrity. And it doesn't happen immediately, but it does happen. And I love, that's my favorite part about being a pastor at this church, is watching people's lives gently, incrementally, step by step, change for the better. That's my favorite part about being a pastor. I love it more than preaching. I love it more than prep, sermon prep. I love it more than emails. I love it more than every study. I love it more than every piece of it is when I get to experience just that little incremental change in somebody's life. That and it doesn't. It's not always linear. I wish it was because it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh oh man, okay, here we go again. You know, it's okay. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. Look at uh, Galatians. Five says the fruit of the spirit. In other words, the produce, the offshoot, the productivity, the outcome of the spirit is love. That's what happens when you have the spirit. You experience love. You exhibit love. You exhibit joy. You exhibit peace. You exhibit forbearance. That's where you put up with something that you don't really want to put up with right now. You experience kindness. You start to exhibit goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These things start to happen in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you and some of us come from different, different starting lines. So my wife is a lot more loving, joyful, peaceful, forbearing, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled than me. Just by nature of the way she was born. God just made her that way. He just did. So I, you know, but, but when I take a little step in one of these areas, I'm going to celebrate that. I'll be like, hey, babe, did you see how forbearing I was just now back here? That was good, right? Amen. Wherever we are on our, on our spiritual journey, the Holy Spirit takes us from where we are and incrementally moves us forward. A greater degree of, of integrity and virtue. Next step. That's right. In our life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Um, in fact, let me read you a quote before we go to this next passage. C.S. Lewis gives this quote, and it's a chunky quote, but I'm going to read the whole thing because I love it. Um, he says this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in, he said, to rebuild that house. So you're a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You know that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But pretty soon... 
He starts knocking the house around in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? Lewis says this. The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. He said, you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. God wants to transform you from the inside out. And sometimes that's, dis- that's uncomfortable and disconcerting and-, and it requires some uncertainty on your part. But he's trying to build you into something that you can't even imagine right now. Because he wants to come and dwell inside of you. The, the scripture says that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's where the Holy Spirit resides. You. In your house. In your body. And so he wants to create, uh, he wants to create a new you. Um, so that's, 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 one of the, uh, that's one of the things that he does. Number two is you experience a heightened ability to communicate through word and deed the reality of God. This is one of the results of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and what that means is, you know, probably the most, most famous um, uh, moment of the Holy Spirit, if you read the Bible, is Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon those who were gathered in the upper room, and, the, and it came as a rushing mighty wind, and there were cloven tongues, the scripture says, like a fire, and it lighted upon their heads, and they began to speak with other tongues, and it was just this, you know, this like dramatic event, Right? And some people think of that and they go, wow, that just sounds like total chaos and mayhem, right? Um, But it wasn't. It wasn't. Because what the Holy Spirit was doing in that moment is the Holy Spirit was empowering this group of Galilean Jews to speak the gospel, to speak the word of God in the precise languages of the people who had come to Jerusalem from all over the world to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, in fact, if you read Acts chapter 2, and we'll, read, we'll get into that in January. But he, he, what happened is that these, these people were coming from all over the world. And the people who were filled with the Holy Spirit were actually speaking in the languages of those individuals that were coming from different countries and proclaiming the gospel. It was powerful. It was a powerful... It's the reverse of the Tower of Babel. If you know the Tower of Babel story, I don't, I'm going to get in the weeds here in just a second, but let me get deep for just a second. Tower of Babel... Is a, is a story from the Old Testament where people, through their pride, were trying to reach heaven and God scattered them across the earth and messed up their languages so they couldn't understand each other. Pentecost is the exact opposite of that. He's bringing all these people from all different languages and all around the world together, and the Holy Spirit is giving them the power to clearly and precisely articulate the gospel to them in their own language. So one of the, one of the outcomes of the Holy Spirit is that it gives you the power to communicate through word and deed the reality of God to other people who don't know him. Now, you may or may not speak in the, you know, I, I may or may not suddenly begin to speak Mandarin if I'm surrounded by a group of, of Chinese people that I'm trying to communicate with, right? But through word and deed, God, through his spirit, gives me the power and gives you the power to communicate who he is to the people around us. Amen. And then number three, um, you experience a greater freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the products of the Holy Spirit. You experience a greater freedom than you've ever known. 
Some of you today are like the children of Israel still. The children of Israel, and I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago, they were freed from the actual chains of bondage, but they began to wander in the wilderness, and the, the, the physical bonds, the physical chains were gone, but the mental and emotional and spiritual bonds were there, and they couldn't enter into the promised land because they were bound up in their chains of oppression that they had not released in their heart and in their mind. They were still slaves in their mind. And Jesus is saying, listen, I want to free you from that. If you are here today and you're still holding on to guilt and shame and regret and, and, and self-loathing and self-doubt and uncertainty and you're experiencing this and it's crippling you in your life and you're not being able to move forward into what God wants you to do and wants you to be, the power of the Holy Spirit is to break those chains in your life. Just like the song said, break every chain in your life. That's the power of the Holy Spirit to set you free. I'm going to read you this last verse. Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, none, for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ, the law of the Spirit, follow this, you guys, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The power of the Holy Spirit in your life is to liberate you, not to bind you, not to chain you, not to hold you back. It's to liberate you to become the man or woman that God wants you to be, to liberate you into that freedom. That's what the Holy Spirit is for you. That's who he is. That's what he does. And that's the outcome of what the Holy Spirit is and can do in your life. So I'm going to close with this. How? Do we experience that Holy Spirit in our life? The scripture says that, you know, you're, you're, you're uh, actually uh, Peter, when he was preaching on this famous passage, Acts chapter 2, he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In other words, get these impediments out of your way. I'll put it simply, surrender yourself. Surrender yourself. Repent means, I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been trucking my way. I've been doing it my way. It's not really working. I'm not experiencing that liberty. That liberty. I'm not experiencing that instruction. I am experiencing bondage. I am experiencing trying and keep failing and not finding a way out. And, I, and I'm experiencing that. So at some point you say, hey, I surrender because there's, there's got to be a better way. God, I'm going to just repent. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to commit my life to you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to get baptized. And I'm just going to turn my heart over to you. I'm going to turn my life over to you. Remove the impediment of the Holy Spirit. Let him operate in your life. And then number two, just seek him. Seek the Spirit. Jesus said, you know, who of you, if you're, if you're a father and your son comes and he asks for uh, um, a bread, are you going to give him a stone? No. If you ask for meat, will you give him a serpent? No. How much more, he said, will the Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for it? So I would just say to you, if you're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, this is, this is a game changer day for you. And you can just say, Father, just fill me with the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me experience the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Let the Holy Spirit be with me. Let me... Let me let me experience you, God. Let me experience your, your, your presence. Let me experience that wind, that breath of you in my life to give me that strength and that liberty. Let me experience that. 
If you're not experiencing that, I want to invite you to experience it today. And here's the thing, you guys. It's not a one-time deal. This is something that we can pray every morning. This is something we can invite the Holy Spirit into our life every single day. We can say, Lord, I, I need, you know, I need your Holy Spirit right now. You know, I, I just did something or said something that if your Holy Spirit was here and he was a dove, he's probably flying off somewhere else right now. Um, but I need you back. So I open my heart and say, Holy Spirit, come in. Holy Spirit, come in. Let me, let me just, if you would, just bow your heads and, and, and close your eyes. And let me just pray with you. And I want to encourage each and every one of you today to open up your heart. If you're a follower of Jesus, open up your heart and ask God to allow the Spirit to come inside of you in a, in a fresh way, like a, like a breath of fresh air that you've not experienced before. If you are not a follower of Jesus, then as I pray, just I want to encourage you. Invite God into your life. You may not have it all figured out. You may still have questions remaining. And guess what? You're allowed to have those questions even after you become a believer. It's okay. It's okay to allow God into your life to follow Jesus and still have some struggles and some questions. So let me just pray with you now. And I I would just urge you and invite you to invite the Holy Spirit in. Father, right now we come before you as a congregation, as a people uh, that are here because we want to learn, we want to grow, we want to know more about you, we want to experience more of you. We want to experience the power that you describe in the book of Acts, and we want to experience the comfort and the advocacy that you describe in the book of John, and we just, we just want to experience all of that, that you have for us. So Heavenly Father, we ask today, um, for those that are not believers, we just ask that they would remove the impediments from their life, that you would remove the impediments from their life, the obstacles from their life, and let them turn their life over to you in a way that's new and fresh and real. And God, for those of us that are believers, that maybe we have been freed from the bondage of slavery and sin, but we still find ourselves wandering around in the wilderness from time to time, and we're not really experiencing that, that real liberty that you have for us, that real freedom that you have for us. I ask, Lord God, that you would allow your spirit to rest like a dove, to hover over us, to come inside of us, to fill us up, to strengthen us, to empower us, to give us grace and mercy and strength, Lord, to become the men and women that you want us to be so that we can be a light, we can be a force for good, we can be a force for reconciliation, we can be a force for peace and hope and strength and power in the world by your grace and by your spirit. We pray all this that you may be glorified and that you may be honored. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, guys.